Father, we need you. Lord, your word is speaking and we desperately need to hear. God, I ask in, in Christ's name that the word of Christ would, would reign, that it would rule. Uh, would you pour out your spirit on us in understanding, but also convince us of our need to humble ourselves before you and submit to your word and see it rule and reign over our life and, and then, Lord, give you glory. God, we, there's so many pictures, there's so many things to see. Uh, every word is just treasure and, and so, God, thank you for it. Help us to make full proof of it. Father, we thank you for the giving, the opportunity to give and Lord, for the ability to be able to, to invest in kingdom work. And so we pray your blessing over our tithes, our offering, uh, Lord, over the sacrifices to see the mission multiply and move forward. Lord, in all of that, we pray that and, and trust, Lord, just by faith in, 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 in the precepts, the principles of your word, that, that how we give, not just of our finances, but of ourselves, that it will fall out uh, to an expanding kingdom. Uh, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time together. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, let's review. Last time we were in day six. In verses 24 and 25 of Genesis 1, we looked at creatures, cattle, and creepers. And one of the things that we saw in Genesis chapter 1, day six, is that there is a cow face that wants your worship and if you're visiting this morning, you're like, what in the world is this guy talking about? I invite you to check out mbtkc.org. And uh, we have a, a, a section of, a, of a, I think it's media. There's a sermon archive there. And uh, you, can, you can check that out. So we saw the, the creatures in verses 24 and 25. But then we saw the creation of man in, in verses 26 through the end of the chapter. And we saw not just the creation, but the commission of Adam. Adam has a job, and we found out it was, his job was making babies for God's glory. That's a good job. Uh, that, is a, that is a really good job. He has a commission, okay? He has a responsibility to replenish the earth. And what we saw as we compared Scripture with Scripture, Adam, as the Son of God, Luke 3, 38, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, describing that gene genealogy, where, where, where does he come from in terms of the flesh? And, and he is the son of, who is the son of, who is the son of Seth, who is the son of Adam, who is the son of God. So when God breathes into the body of Adam, breathes into his nostrils, the breath of life, the Bible says Adam became, right, a living soul, but he's also, through scripture, we know he's God's son. This qualifies him to replace these fallen sons of God. We see Noah get the exact same commission in Genesis chapter nine, verses one and two. He is to be fruitful, he is to multiply, and he is to replenish the earth. What before was plenished must be replenished. And so what we did in comparing scripture with scripture, we placed the fall of Satan between Genesis chapter one, verse one, and verse two. Uh, it works chronologically, but most importantly, it works uh, not just in terms of what the text says, but all of our cross-references harmonize, they come together. Uh, you know he has fallen before Genesis chapter three, so we don't know what time Genesis 1-1 started, but at the point the clock starts in the evening and the morning were the first day, we know that happened approximately 6,000 years ago according to biblical chronology. 
Uh, so, so what's Adam doing? When he's created, he's replacing sons of God who rebelled with Lucifer. Uh, that's what we saw, and again, you can check out the sermon archive and get those notes. Uh, it, when we get to Genesis 15, we'll see that same commission given to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, but ultimately it lands with the disciples. It's given to the church in Matthew 28. Here's the principle that we saw. Throughout history, throughout humanity, biblical history, God's mission has been consistent. It is to produce sons of God. Adam, that is his job. And what does God give him to accomplish the job? What does God give him in Genesis chapter one? Let the whole church say everything. It's everything. And, 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 and Adam's job, it was a physical commission. There, he, God, first thing God gives him is a help meet. Male and female created he them, the Bible says. So he's got a help meet. Uh, to help meet that need of, of making sons of God. Adam doesn't have a womb, so he needs a womb bearer. Uh, but then also he's supplied, richly supplied. Everything is, is for their uh, furtherance of the mission. Now Adam's commission is physical. Our version of it as the local church, we're not, we're not, I mean, yes, you can give birth to children and train them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and, and when they're old, they won't depart. They'll, they'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and all of that's good, but, but to the church age, our, our commission is spiritual. And we're doing the same thing. We're replenishing fallen sons of God. When you get saved, your spirit, the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you're God's child, that you're the sons of God. Uh, it, is a, it is a spiritual commission. And so what has God given to us in order to accomplish it? Let the whole church say, everything. Some of you didn't say that, maybe you're not convinced. Well, Ephesians 1.3 says we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In Philippians 4 verse 19, here's the promise. God shall supply what part of our need? It's all. All our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so now here we are in Genesis chapter 2. What you need to know about Genesis chapter 2 is its commentary on Genesis chapter 1. Uh, what we're gonna get is the inside scoop. It's not another creation of another first man. It's, it's commentary on what we've already seen in the, uh, day six, okay? And, and, and then there's more information. We're gonna get the inside scoop on, when, on what went down uh, on, on uh, day six. But it starts by describing day seven. So let's pick it up in verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. So let's talk about the finishing of the heavens and the earth. Notice heavens is plural, not singular. Uh, when we saw original creation in Genesis 1.1, the Bible describes it this way. In the beginning, God created the heaven, singular, and the earth. But here it's the heavens and the earth were finished. Um, so again, another, another case for placing Lucifer's rebellion between Genesis 1.1 and 1.2. Now, here's the thing that I want you to see, okay, and we're gonna, end, we're gonna spend some time uh, at the end of our study this morning looking at this. Right after God makes Adam, okay, he makes a son. Right after making of man the first Adam, God declares the work is finished. That's what the Word of God says. Uh, here is the producing of a son of God, now the work of God is finished. And what's the picture there? I want you to get this down in your notes. Uh, 
I want you to stick this in the back of your mind because we're gonna come back to it in just a moment. The picture is this, sonship leads to rest. Sonship means rest. And that's what we'll see in Genesis two and three. Okay, let me, let me, let me just keep putting this in the back of your mind. When the last Adam came, okay, when the last Adam shows up, didn't the work of God finish? In John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus has just been, in, I mean, the sin of the world has been imputed to him. He has been made, he has been reckoned the sin that, that causes enmity between man and God. And so there he is hanging on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. The work at Calvary was finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, calls Christ the last Adam. You'll hear that name for Jesus, the last Adam or the second Adam. Uh, there's two biblical Adams. The first Adam made your physical birth possible. Before his fall, it, he, was produ- he could have produced sons of God, but before he actually accomplished that commission, uh, he rebels against God and the likeness of image the likeness and image of Christ in him is corrupted. Uh, But he is the first Adam, he makes our physical birth possible. The last Adam makes a spiritual birth, a new birth possible. But he had to do a work in in order to provide sonship to you and I with the Lord. He, that we call it the finished work at Calvary, he made through his work our new birth possible. Ephesians 2.16 says it this way, that, 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 that Christ might reconcile both unto God, both Jew and Gentile can be reconciled unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the, the enmity thereby. So just like Adam in Luke chapter 3.38, he's a son of God, he's able to reproduce sons of God, The first thing he does, okay, so just don't miss this picture. He's been created, he's been instructed, and God says, let's enter into rest. Do you see that? A son of God, first thing, has rest. A lot of you are looking at me like frogs on a log. Is everybody seeing this so far? Okay. You and I, what are we? We're the sons of God. What's the first thing that should be true of us? We enter into a rest, okay? We're called to enter into God's rest. So I just, I just prime the pump with that. We're gonna come back and see why some people do and some people don't, okay, when we get to verses two and three. Now let's talk about the host. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Okay, what's the host? Well, we're describing the first and second heavens here. Okay, this is restoration, recreation. The creative week is done. So we're talking about the critters, right? In the sea, on the land, all this life, but also the celestial host, because it's the earth, right? It's the heavens and the earth. So the heavens, this is also going to, going to include the sun, the moon, and the stars. We saw their creation in chapter one, verse 16. Now, this isn't worth squabbling over, but I think this is also talking about the reorg of the celestial host, and by that I don't mean the cosmic stars, the cosmic entities, I mean the celestial beings. Um, let's, let's talk about the host of the heavens. There, is, there, there are 
in the celestial hosts, okay, in the celestial realm, celestial beings, there are different types, there are different classifications of these angelic beings. They have different names, cherub, seraphim, angel, archangel, watcher, holy ones, high ones on high. Okay, so in Daniel chapter four, verse 13, these beings, he says, Daniel, verse 13, saw a watcher and an holy one, and where does he come from? He comes down from heaven. He comes down from above. In chapter 17, it's described this way. This matter is by the decree, or I'm sorry, chapter four, verse 17. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. Verse 23, the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven. Uh, The book of Enoch, it's an apocryphal book, it's a commentary primarily on Genesis chapter six. It calls them the watchers as well, these celestial beings, and and their role is in the name. It's their job to watch. Uh, The problem that we'll see in Genesis chapter six, these watchers, these sons of God, they don't just watch, uh, they get too involved in the affairs of humanity, and, and we'll lay all that out when we get to Genesis chapter six. But look at Isaiah 24, verse 21. There are celestial beings that judgment is coming for them. It's described in Isaiah 24, verse 21, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish, here's that host again, here is this this heavenly host, the high ones, the host of the high ones that are on high. And then there's kings that will be judged, there are kings of the earth upon the earth, but there are high ones on high that will be punished. So there is a host that is finished. Um, so when you look on a, you know, if there's no moon and you just get out away from the city, you can look up and you can see the, the starry host. Sometimes you'll read it described that way in literature. It's described as the starry host. Uh, the celestial stars, the, the, the celestial host. Um, but it's also celestial beings that we're talking about here. In Job 38, Job is complaining. Everything has gone wrong in his life, and he's demanding an answer from the Lord. And so when the Lord shows up, he basically makes sure that Job understands that he knows absolutely nothing about what's going on, and he starts with creation. Look at Job 38, verse four. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Okay, that demands a cross-reference. What would that be? There's one very clear cross-reference for that. Some people are like, it's a trap. Okay, I got Genesis. Genesis chapter, chapter one, what verse? One, Genesis one, one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's what he's talking about here in Job 38, four. Declare if thou hast understanding who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Uh, Joe, you're demanding answers. Let's see if you have any yourself. Where were you, Job? Job 38, verse seven. When the morning stars sang together. Uh, this is another name for the celestial beings, the celestial, the angelic host. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, and so we've seen this cross-reference before. 
these celestial beings are called sons of God, and they were obviously, according to Job 38, created before the heaven and the earth. So they're, they're singing, they're shouting for joy. Why? Well, they're not homeless anymore. Okay, God's made, God's fashioned a realm for them. And so, you know, we, we described it like Asgard before. So they're shouting for joy. Well, what we're gonna see in the Genesis study is that these celestial beings, these morning stars, this, this heavenly host, these high ones on high, these angels, these watchers, these sons of God, they're not all in agreement. And some of them, they're not only enemies of one another, but they hate you too. Turn in your, keep a finger here in Genesis chapter two and, and go to Dan, Daniel chapter 10. We gotta look at this, Daniel chapter 10. And while you're turning there, let me describe how they're a problem for you. Ephesians 6, 12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Bread. Turn to your bread and say, you're not my enemy. Hey, bro, you're not my enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, there it is, but against who? Against, we wrestle against principalities, princes, right? Principalities and against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There are high ones on high who do not have your best interests at heart. As a matter of fact, they're out for your destruction. Okay, so let me give you an example of this. Daniel chapter 10, here's, here's Daniel. He's now an old man. He's in the Persian Empire. A thing was revealed to him. He understands the thing, but he wants application. He wants, he, he wants understanding in terms of what it will mean for God's people. And so in verse two, he sets himself to three weeks of prayer and fasting. This is called the Daniel diet. It's a really handy way to humble yourself before the Lord and enter into a long phase of fasting where you need strength for your job. Daniel's a, he's an executive, he's an administrator um, in, the, in the Persian government at this point. He needs, he can't be all you know, he can't be all messed up through a hard fast, and so, so he's not, um, he's restricting his diet. No, no Lamar's donut, verse two, verse three. No pleasant bread, uh, no flesh, no wine. Uh, neither did he anoint himself at all, so he's looking real rough. Um, might, might be smelling a little rough too, but, but there he is. He's, he's humbling himself before God. He's praying and he's fasting. He needs an answer. Okay, so now he's, uh, after his season of prayer and faster, fasting, he's on the side of the river and he looks up, now watch verse five. He looks and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz. His body also was like the barrel. Uh, when I was a kid, I'd read that, the barrel. I'd think, uh, that's a funny way to spell, spell barrel. And I'm thinking, you know, his, his body was like the barrel. I'm thinking he maybe needs to lose weight. He's got one of those barrel torsos, you know, or something. I don't know. No, it's a gemstone, okay? So I found a, an artist's conception of Gabriel, and, and there's the colors. The, the artist does a good job, including the barrel and the gold. Um, but that's a barrel stone. It's a gemstone. So this guy, his body is like the barrel. Keep going. And his face as the appearance of lightning. When somebody looks at you and their face is lightning, what's that going to do to you? I mean, somebody just pops up, sup, and their face is all lightning and their skin's like gemstone. And uh, you're going to pee a little. That's what's up. 
right? That's what's going to happen. Uh, and, and, and well, we'll keep going. His eyes as lamps of fire, his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass. There's that barrel uh, color again. And the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. We'll check out Jesus back in Revelation chapter one. I mean, this guy, when he speaks, it sounds like the voice of God. Uh, it penetrates the soul, okay? It's the, it's the voice of a multitude. Now Daniel's the only one who can see it. Everybody else knows something's up and they run like chickens. They hide themselves, but verse eight, he's left alone and he passes out. There's no strength left in him. His comeliness turned in him, he says, to corruption. He retained no strength. Verse nine, yet I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. Passed out, face flat, man. Down he goes. Uh, you know, this is why when, when these cats show up, they have to instruct people not to worship them. Uh, this is a, I mean, talk about greater in power and might. This, this guy looks like the glorified Christ, okay? Uh, all power, I mean, Daniel messes himself, <laughs> passes out. Okay, so, so he touches me, verse 10, okay? He gets up on his hands and his knees, and look at what he says, verse 11. He says, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. The three, over three weeks ago, you started praying, right? Three weeks ago, you started praying. I was, God heard I was sent, but here's the delay. Here's why we had a problem. He says, but the prince, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, okay, the principality, an authority over Persia, that's where you're serving. Uh, I'm coming to give you information, but the prince of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, we find out in scripture that he is the principality of Israel. He is the chief prince of Israel. He came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Uh, there was a three-week debate. <laughs> this had to be negotiated. Now, verse 14, I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. Uh, I just, I went catatonic. <laughs> This is just a freak out, you know. It's like those uh, goats that, you know, that's, that's me. Uh, there is a prince over Persia that somehow rules the affairs of men. Um, you tell me, I have information for you. They were in my way. Michael came and, and he got it sorted out and it took three weeks, but here I am with some information. Do you see what's going on here? There are some high ones on high that have a, there's a component to their rule that affects, it is over the kingdoms of this earth. Uh, we'll come back to this when we get to Genesis three through six. We're gonna see how some of this plays out. Uh, you see the principle again in Jude, verses eight and nine, talking about filthy dreamers defiling the flesh. What do they do? They despise dominion. There are people who are, who are dominating, they have dominion and and uh, wicked people despise them. They speak evil of dignities. There it is again. 
Yet Michael, who is a principality, he has dominion, he is a dignity himself, he's an archangel. Uh, he is Michael, the, this prince of Israel, this principality of Israel. He is like a, a first among equals in the archangel class. Uh, Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him, against the devil, a railing accusation. Why? Because the, the devil is a principality. He is a prince. He has a dominion. He is a dignity. And so he doesn't treat him like trash. He treats him with respect. It's not my job to put you in your place. He says, the Lord rebuke thee. Do you see that? There's something going on there with these high ones on high, uh, these, these principalities, these watchers. I don't know. I, I, as I study the Bible and as I look at, at the rabbinic take on it, what it seems to be, and, and the deists will even say the same thing. There are watchers, there are principalities who are over, they have a responsibility. Nobody can say exactly how it works, but they're placed over the affairs of men. They, they, are, they, are, they are principalities, they have authority. And are they staff based on where mankind is at with God? That's my question, I, uh, that's, that's pure conjecture, but I think there's something to that. Uh, but here's what I do know from scripture. They are at odds. <laughs> they are at odds with one another, and they are at odds with you. They're at odds with the agenda of this church. There's not all of them, but, but many of them are at odds with, I mean, how does a church go into blatant wickedness? Well, they probably have a principality that's facilitating it. They're at odds with the work of the church. This is why, look at Daniel 10, prayer and fasting absolutely matter. This is why you'll hear old timers say the only thing that, scared, that Satan is scared of, right? The only thing that frightens him is a Christian full of faith praying to God. Or it'll, it'll, it, they'll say it like this, Satan trembles at the weakest Christian on their knees because he has no defense against the answer to prayer. Um, you know, uh, some little granny prays about some problem somewhere and and uh, some, some principalities laughing at that, but then Michael shows up with a bunch of you know, heavy duty, holy thugs, you know, uh, some, 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 um, you know, some elite special forces angels with chains of darkness you know, to arrest them if they don't get out of the way and let, let, let this answered prayer come. I, I don't know, I don't know how it works, but it's something like that. I can't wait to read the newspapers in heaven just to see what happened, to watch the home video collection of uh, the Lord Jesus. Okay, so now let's talk about the seventh day. We're in verse two. On the seventh day, and on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. What did God do on the seventh day? He tells you, he t how many times did he tell you? Ended his work, rested, uh, and rested. So, so, so two, two different ways, three times. He's resting on the seventh day. Now, this breaks a pattern, okay? What's missing in this description of the seventh day? Every day, it ends with the same tagline. Shave and a haircut. What is it? 
And the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. There's no evening and the morning were the seventh day here. Why is that missing? This phrase has been used six times before, but not here. It's not used here because we can't miss a critical picture. Again, if you're gonna understand your Bible, you cannot be ignorant of the millennial day principle. We, we pointed this out a few times in our Genesis study. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse eight, this principle comes up where God is describing the coming ultimate judgment of the day of the Lord on humanity. And, and it's, you know, there's some people that, that think it's never gonna come, some people are scoffing about it, and, and what they don't understand is that God it's coming, but he's not willing that any would perish. And, and, and besides, a lot of people are ignorant about God's timeline. They don't, they don't understand this millennial day principle. And here it is, 2 Peter 3.8. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. God works, in terms of how God works with humanity, it's in millennial day pictures, okay? There are... There is a millennial day picture that we need to see. Well, we've looked at three of these so far. Uh, I'm convinced you can make a case for more, but they're fuzzier pictures. The three that we've pointed out are very clear. Uh, What are they? Well, on day four, we saw the first one. So the fourth millennial day picture is that the sun, God makes the sun on the fourth day. It's made four days after the renovation of earth. And that's how the millennial day schedule worked out. Four days from the beginning of creation, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, this is what Malachi chapter four, verse two calls Jesus. Uh, Four days after creation, Jesus shows up. Uh, That's the picture. We saw the second millennial day picture, it was day five, the fifth millennial day picture. So Jesus shows up four days from the beginning of creation. After the sun shows up, then we see life multiply on day five. And that's a millennial day picture of the church age, okay? When Christ comes, it's to bring what? He says, I've come to give you what? Life and life, it's abundant life, isn't it? Uh, It's to multiply. Uh, Jesus told the woman at the well, what I give, the water that I give, shall be in him a a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He told his disciples in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why? He's the son of righteousness, and so life must multiply throughout the church age. And then on day six, we saw the third picture, the sixth millennial day picture, and, and it's this, man's created on which day? The sixth day, because God wants man tied to the number six. Six is the number of man. It's just a number, but man can't get away from it. And so when he's instructed, he's made on day six, and when he's instructed how to do his work, he's to follow the example of God himself. So when the law is given in Exodus chapter 20, you will labor six days, but on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath, It's a day of rest, and he gives the example of his days of labor, followed by six days of labor, followed by a day of rest. So six days of labor, followed by, okay, so in terms of the millennial day picture, what do we have in our Bible? We've got six millennia. 
six days of human activity recorded. If you follow Usher's chronology, you know that Genesis 1, that first day, the evening and the morning were the first day, that starts the clock ticking. That was roughly 6,000 years ago. We are coming to the end of the sixth day. We've got 4,000 years of biblical history recorded, followed by 2,000 years of church history, don't we? Four plus two equals six. I mean, I don't think there's any new math to, do that, to undo that. So six millennia, six days have passed. Six days shalt thou what? Labor. There's six days of humanity laboring, followed by a day of what? And is it any wonder that we're seeing more prophecy fulfilled in this generation than at any other time? We are living in the last of the last days. Guess, what, guess what's coming right around the corner? It's a day of rest. That's the millennial day picture that we're seeing here. So the text doesn't say the evening and the morning were the seventh day. It breaks the pattern. That's your next blank. Why? Because this day of rest is a picture of the day of the Lord the thousand-year day that actually has no end. Well, it's a thousand-year reign, so it obviously it has an end. No, that just ushers in eternity future. Uh, you read that in Isaiah chapter 9, Revelation chapters 20 through 22. The day of the Lord is a thousand years. There will be a rebellion at the end of the day of the Lord, and God absolutely shuts it down. It, the day of the Lord actually results in a new heaven and a new earth and then eternity future. Isaiah 9 describes it this way, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's the first coming of Christ. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, God gives us his names. It's, it's in, in, in a sense, uh, they're a great tool, they're a great study tool. It's one of the ways we can get insight into who God is, into knowing God into knowing who he is. Is Jesus uh, the living word? Is he a wonderful counselor to you? Is he your prince of peace? Uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. He gives us his names. But then in verse 7, it describes the second coming of Christ. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be what? An end after a thousand years. No, no end. That's what the Bible says. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it, with judgment and with justice from henceforth even for a thousand years. How long does the reign of Christ last? The thousand year reign just leads right into eternity future. He is not dethroned at the end of that thousand years, y'all. He will reign and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Okay, so that's why I don't lead the choir. Okay. So the picture is this, no other day follows. There's just seven days, that's all there is in the Bible, seven days. That's why it says the evening and the morning or the seventh day, that would imply an eighth day. No, it's, that's the eighth day, we'll just go up another octave, baby, it's, it's eternity future, that's what's coming. So you need to know this, God works in sevens. Sorry about your notes, I wasn't paying attention, my word processor got a little derp this morning and, and I checked it out and I missed that and I printed it. Trust me, there are seven in that list. Uh, you can ignore the numbers and just count them. <laughs> uh, God works in seven. So number one, six days of creation followed by a day of rest. Uh, that's seven. 
Uh, number two, six days. All right, it gives the same thing to man. Another cross-reference, Leviticus 23 or Exodus 20. Six days man works. He has a work week followed by a day of rest, a Sabbath rest. That's seven. It's following the pattern, uh, the example that God sets in the restoration, the creation of earth. Number three, six weeks followed by a Pentecost at the end of a seven times seven days or 49 days. You read about that in Leviticus 23. Number four, six months followed by three feasts in the seventh month. So that's a six plus one uh, pattern again. Three feasts in the seventh month. That would be the Feast of Trumpets, Atonements, and Tabernacles. And you read about those feasts in in, uh, Leviticus 23. Number five, uh, God lays out for the children of Israel six years followed by a sabbatical year of rest in the seventh year. Leviticus 25, there's a, uh, the seventh year, the land rests. Then you see the pattern of six weeks of years followed by a year of jubilee, right? So that's Leviticus 25 and then six millenniums. This is what we're seeing in the picture this morning, six millenniums, followed by a seventh millennium of rest known as the millennium or the day of the Lord, uh, which we just described. That's a lot of blanks for your notes. I'll pause to catch my breath and let you get your blanks filled in. Uh, I saw some people protesting in the last service. I, I just kept blundering right, right along. Just like, there's, there's more, okay? We, we need to look at it. <coughs> Okay, here's what we need to get. You ready? God rests on the seventh day. We should rest too. We should be part of that rest. Now God's not resting because he's exhausting. This is God ceasing his work, okay? Uh, In other words, he worked, he created, he made, and then he rested. So this isn't God on the seventh day. (gasps) You know, he's not exhausted. He's done working. If I'm not working, if I'm not at work, I am at rest. That's what, we're, that's what we're talking about here. This doesn't establish, but it foreshadows the law that God would give to the nation of Israel. Uh, this wasn't known until Moses. Okay, what that means then is, okay, here God is blessing and setting apart. He's sanctifying the seventh day, but you need to understand, in terms of the law, no Gentile was ever commanded to keep the Sabbath. You can't find that in your Bible. And that particularly applies to the, to the Gentile bride of Christ, the New Testament church. Colossians 2.16 tells you, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. You are not bound by those. You know, Adam was given the word of God Okay, he's, Adam is not a Jew, but he was given the word of God in Genesis chapter one, verses 28 and 30, and in Genesis chapter two, verses 17 through 18, wasn't he? Adam could have memorized the whole of God's word in like a second or two, because he's smarter than us. But I mean, you've just literally got a few lines of the word of God. There is no place in there. Six days shalt thou labor in paradise, and on the seventh day, it's a holy day, thou shalt rest, it's a Sabbath to you. No, he's not, he's not commanded to keep a Sabbath. You need to know this, today is not the Sabbath day. Sunday is not a Sabbath. Uh, biblically, it's described as the first day of the week. Sometimes you'll see it pictured as the eighth, uh, but it's, it's, not, it's not a Sabbath. 
So we don't keep the Sabbath any more than we would keep the Passover. When was the last time on Passover week you saw me slaughtering a sheep and putting blood over the, over the sides and the doors? Like, we don't do that. I mean, we have the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. Uh, we, we don't, we, don't we, we celebrate Easter, we don't celebrate Passover, okay? So we don't keep the Sabbath. But you need to know over and over again, God's people try to take something that wasn't given to them. They try to misapply God's truth, right? And Satan uses that. Get this down in your notes. Satan will use God's truth misapplied to confuse and divide us so that we end up arguing over things that don't apply to us in this dispensation and we end up missing the message that God has for us. You'll see people, like for example, in the, in the uh, Seventh-day Adventist denomination. Oh, you're saved by grace through faith, but, but, but then everything else they're communicating is, is if you're gonna stay saved, you're gonna keep the Sabbath, you're gonna keep the feast or whatever. You'll see that in Messianic Christianity. Oh yeah, salvation's by, by grace through faith, but, but we really have to keep the Passover. We have to keep the feasts. Uh, the seventh day, that's a day of rest. We'll go to synagogue and worship, but that's it. You know, things like that that will, that will end up causing confusion and division. It's like, well, okay, so I give this example every once in a while. Um, we need to do it very quickly, very briefly, but here it is. All of the Bible is for you. You need to know that. Genesis to Revelation, that is for you. But not all of the Bible was written to you. Listen, Bride of Christ. Listen, New Testament church. The Bible is very clear. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. So it's Pauline theology. It's Romans through Philemon that keeps us straight doctrinally, Genesis to Revelation. Do you see that? In Romans to Philemon, you're not gonna see any command to keep any feasts. There's no... There's no salvation by works. There's no keeping salvation by works. There's no losing of salvation. Uh, Romans through Philemon will keep you straight doctrinally, Genesis to Revelation. Now, all scripture is profitable for doctrine, but I can't take something that God wrote to someone else to do something else, right? Something that was to them and say, that is written to me. Um, It's like this, you're in third grade, okay? No, let's make it fifth grade. Uh, you, are, you are absolutely strongly, you know, you're, you're, you're entering puberty. You're in fifth grade. And your name is Billy. Turn to your neighbor and say, hello, Billy. So Billy is in fifth grade. Uh, we're, we're all God's children. We're in fifth grade, okay? And so, Billy, you have a crush. I mean, a massive crush on Susie because she is cute. She's cuter than a bug's ear. I don't know how a bug's ear can be cute, but that's, it must be. She's cute. I mean, she's so, she's the best looking girl in school. And, uh, and you've had a thing for her all year. And uh, Susie uh, gets up and puts a note on Jerry's desk. Jerry is over at the wall getting a dictionary because he's a moron, okay? Jerry. You don't have any real respect for Jerry because he doesn't know what you know. Uh, but, jo- but Susie put a note on Jerry's desk. It's all folded up, and on top of it, there's a heart. Oh, there's a heart on a note given to Jerry. Well, Jerry's gone. All of a sudden, you get this idea. It's like what Jerry don't know won't hurt him. It's worked for him in the past. He can just keep being an idiot. So you grab Jerry's note, 
And on the down low, you're opening it up under your desk and you're reading it and the note says, hi Jerry. Okay, that's not too bad. I heart you. It's the worst news ever. I heart you. Do you heart me, question mark. And then there's two boxes, check yes or no. And then right below that, if yes, then meet me after school by the rose bushes. I wanna give you a kiss, I wanna give you a smack. (sighs) Worst day ever. But again, all of a sudden you're like, Jerry doesn't know, I know. Wait a minute, so what you do is you cross out Billy's name, or Jerry's name, and you write in Billy, Billy. And then you check yes. (laughs) And then after school, you go to the rose bushes, do you get your smack? Do you get your kid? You get a smack upside the head, right? You get judgment, um, but you don't get loving because you stole something that wasn't written to you and you tried to claim it for yourself. Do you see how that works? And God's people do this all the time. Something that was written to the Jewish believer in another dispensation at another time with other objectives, it was not, it was for you. It's for your edification. You can learn. You can get insight about your relationship with God. You can get insight about how to follow God and what he's instructed you in. But brother, sister, it ain't Romans through Philemon. And so now you're, you're taking something. Instead of running the word of God through that lens, you're trying to steal a love letter to the people of Israel and you're gonna get smacked. The Bible tells you in 2 Timothy to rightly divide the word of truth. And we'll have people who will be ashamed because they, did not, they didn't have right doctrine because they didn't learn how to make the commanded divisions in their Bible. God help us. No one, no Gentile was ever commanded to keep the Sabbath. No one kept the Sabbath for 2,500 years, including Abraham. Uh, That's your next blank. Here's what we need to get. Who is the only one working in Genesis 1 and 2? Who's the only person working? What's his name? It's God, right? There's only one person working. Now, Adam gets work orders, but the only person we see working is God himself. So the picture is this, okay? God makes a son. God creates Adam, and Adam, what, has he, what work has he done to earn his place in paradise in Eden? So get this down in your notes. Man did nothing to attain paradise. It's God that works, and we who rest with him. God works, we rest. As sons of God, we enter into God's rest. God creates Adam, and the first thing that he sees, right, the work is done. The, the, the last work, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. He gives the commands, here's your mission, and the work is done. So what's next? Enter into my rest. The seventh day is a day of rest. That's the first thing that he has shown. Why? Because as sons of God, we're to enter into his rest. That's the picture. Do you know why a lot of God's people don't enjoy God's rest? Look at Hebrews 3. The problem is unbelief. Unbelief, that's your next blank. Hebrews 3 verse 7 says we need to hear God's voice and what is God saying? Verse 8, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. 
That's a key phrase. How do you harden your heart? Well, let's keep reading. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of the temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. What does God want to do? Well, the picture is the same with the Hebrew children. They've been delivered from bondage. God even says in his word he's calling his son out of Egypt and he's gonna bring him into what? Rest in Canaan. It's a short trip. Enter into my rest. It takes 40 years, why? Because they don't believe what God is saying. They saw some giants and flipped out and, and now it's a problem. So, the Bible says in verse 10, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart. So they've hardened their hearts, verse eight, now they're erring in their heart. Now we start getting the clue as to why. They have not known my ways, they don't know. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. So here's the warning to the believer. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened. You harden your heart, how? Through the deceitfulness of sin. So instead of believing God, you're believing a lie, the lie of sin. You, your heart is hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, for we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they'd heard, they hardened their heart, they erred. Instead of believing God, they believed a lie, the lie of sin. For some, when they heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Two guys believed the promise. They wanted to enter into the promised land. They wanted to enter into God's rest. Everybody else freaked out. Giants, they're gonna make sandwiches out of us and our kids. And so they hardened their heart, they erred. They believed the deceitfulness of sin. And God said, you will not enter into my rest. To whom swear that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So this is the wandering of Israel in the wilderness of sin. Their unbelief, their error, their hardening of their heart stopped them from entering into God's promised rest. This rest was provided by God, but God's people never claimed it because they claimed a lie. So Hebrews 3 is telling us the danger of becoming unbelieving believers. It ruins, when you don't believe God's promises, you ruin God's rest in your life. Do you see that, does everybody see that? Are you with me? Okay, now turn to Hebrews chapter four. So the problem is unbelief, the opportunity is rest, the believer's rest. Now, Hebrews four verse one. Let us therefore fear, we need to take God's word serious. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. God's rest is promised, but if you don't believe, you're not gonna receive, it's according to your faith. That's what it will be unto you. That's how the principle works. There's a rest promise, will you enter in? Will you believe? Verse two, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The truth is coming, they're not believing on it. Uh, they're hardening their heart, they're erring, they're believing a lie, the lie of sin. 
For we which have believed do enter into rest. If you believe on the word of God, you'll have the rest of God over your life. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So again, this is why we had to look at this example because it's the cross-reference that's demanded of Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 verses 1 through 3. Watch this now. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not because of unbelief. Adam was a son of God, and what did he do? He was with God in God's rest. Does everybody see that? You are a son of God. Have you entered into God, into God's rest? They entered not in because of unbelief. Can I just tell you why so many Christians are so wound up, they're so anxious, they're enduring so much difficulty, they're working their tail off, nothing's coming out right? It's because they don't believe God. There's a way that seems right unto them. They're going a way that's right in their own eyes and it's frustration. The end of that way is death, death of a dream, death of life, death of whatever. They entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, for after so long a time as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. God's crying out to his people, believe what I'm saying to you. Don't harden your heart. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth, watch this now, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from whose works? His own works. Stop going away that's right in your own eyes. Stop erring in your heart. Stop hardening your heart. Start believing God. Cease from your plan and submit to God's. Cease from your works and enter into God's rest. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Why, because it's all, God finished the work. You get to enjoy his rest now. You don't have to labor for that rest. God already bought it for you. Thank God for Calvary, amen? It's all God all the time. See, we need to understand that God's rest in Genesis chapter two wasn't because he was tired, but rather because the work was finished for us. What did he say to Adam? All things yours. Do you remember that in Genesis chapter one? It's, I, I did all of this for you. God did all of the work. What do we, we just enter into his rest. The work is done. God's finished work. The picture that we're seeing here is one of Calvary. Calvary is your last blank. Whenever you come to Calvary, that enmity has been torn down. The way, I mean, Jew and Gentile become one in the person of Christ. You become one in the person of Christ. That's an incredible thing that takes place. God finished the work. He hangs on the cross of Calvary and he says, it is finished. And when you believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ, you become a new creature, you're born again. The Bible says you are called the sons of God. He did the work, we enter into his rest. That's how this works. God created a son for himself in Adam, and the first thing Adam gets is God's rest. 
And God says the same thing to you this morning. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Stop your work, cease from your own works. Enter into my rest, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Don't harden your heart, don't err in your heart. Don't be unbelieving, learn of me and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can you imagine having that gig working in the Garden of Eden? Be like, best job ever. It's paradise. It's God's rest. Sons of God don't work to get to heaven or get God's favor, it's given to them. Jesus did all the work. But they have to enter in. It's provided by Christ, but you have to receive it. You have to believe on it. Have you, have you been saved? Do you know that you're in God's rest? Or is your life full of turmoil because you're frustrated with what you're getting from your own works? How's that working out for you? And to those of you that are saved, are you still in God's rest? A lot of times what happens is is we begin well, but then we start walking in the flesh. We start doing our own works again. What are we doing? We're hardening our heart, we're erring in our heart. We're, We're falling for the lie of sin, the deceitfulness of sin. Galatians 3 is a great example of this. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should obey not the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. He did all the work. This only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law, by your ability to do in the flesh, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Oh foolish believer, who bewitched you that you thought you could switch from just being in God's rest to believing the deceitfulness of sin and thinking you're gonna do it in your own power by your own works, doing it your own way. Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus and Lord, I wanna ask that that God, you would be glorified in this moment. Uh, There are some here in this room um, that that are not in your rest. And there's anxiousness, there's turmoil, there's conflict. Uh, Spiritually, they're not thriving, uh, they're languishing, and and it may be because they don't know you. Uh, They're not yet your son. And Lord, if there's any today that do not know that Christ is Lord and Savior, I pray that today they would come and believe on Jesus and be born again and be called your, 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 your sons, to be a son or daughter in your kingdom. And then God, for those that are saved, we can get deceived too and, and uh, end up trying to live our life. We wanna build our own rest through our own works. Uh, we wanna build our own paradise through our own efforts and it's so frustrating. We didn't receive the new life by our ability, by our works. Um, Lord, we can't begin in the spirit and be made perfect in the flesh. And so God, I pray for, for others of us that today would be a day of repentance, that we would quit trying to be a son of God in the power of our flesh, in, our, in the works of our flesh. That God, we would believe on you, submit to your word and enter in. I ask this in Jesus' name. Be glorified, we pray, amen.